Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 325. Wow. 325. How have you people stood it for all these episodes? That's all I want to know. I don't know how you do it, but thank you for sticking around. 325 shows, all of which have had theme music provided by the Respect Sextet. Oh, here come the jazz police right now. I don't know if you could hear that, but anyway, uh, the cop cars are coming. So let me just quickly say before they get in through the door, which I have barricaded, Respect Sextet did the theme music. They're online at respectsextet.com. Dave Rabel did the logo. He's online at twitter.com slash Dave Rabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. The show is on the All About Jazz website, allaboutjazz.com, and they've got a widget that you can add. And if you do that, then you'll be mentioned in my newsletter if you tell me that you do it, not just if you do it, because I don't troll the entire web for mentions of myself constantly. I only do that Monday through Friday. And what else? Please become a member because the show is member-supported, and without your money, there's no way I can keep doing it. So you can do that at thejazzsession.com slash join. And I'm recording all of this week's intros at the same time, so this may already be an expired offer, but it might not also. The next two people who join at the middle or top level, yearly or monthly, will receive guitarist Anthony Wilson's new DVD CD set, Seasons, which is a live performance that he did with Steve Cardenas, Julian Lodge, and Chico Pinero performing on a quartet of custom guitars that were built to be played together by John Monteleone. So you're definitely going to want that. It's pretty amazing. This is bordering dangerously on a public radio pledge drive announcement. But anyway, get that by becoming a member at the middle or top level, monthly or yearly. And, of course, you get my gratitude and all the other stuff that comes with it, and mostly the warm, good karma feeling of keeping the jazz session going. Joan Stiles is someone I've followed for a while since my radio days back in uh, the early 1940s, and she has a new CD called Three Musicians, which has on it, stay with me now because it's hard to follow this, it has three musicians on it, and they are Joan Stiles on piano, Joel Fromm on saxophone, and Matt Wilson on drums, and when they play together, it sounds a lot like this. Thank you. 
My guest is the pianist Joan Stiles. It's so great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Jason. I have uh, I've known about you for years, and I'm really happy to, to finally get a chance to talk to you. And we're talking about many things, but primarily about your new record, which uh, is to some degree a departure from what you did on the last record. It's yes. a, a very stripped down, very intimate. And so maybe we could start just by talking about what you were hearing that made you wanted to, to go in this direction for three musicians. Well, the CD originated from having had many good experiences playing without a bass player. Uh, I had done a lot of duo work with Joel Fromm, who's on the record, and also with Steve Wilson, who's on Hurley Burley. And the experience of openness and that telepathic communication thing that happens when just two people are relating to each other um, was something that very much appealed to me. Um, then what I decided to do, instead of doing a duo record, um, because I had played with Lewis Nash, uh, this Jitterbug Waltz on um, Hurley Burley, I decided that that would be a good format and, and to not have any bass player. And then um, invited Matt Wilson to join, to join Joel and, and, and I. And, and really it just comes from this desire for openness. Um, even though I love the sound of the bass what happens is I, I feel a little boxed in sometimes, hearing every quarter note um, pulsed in the, in the traditional thing. And then those players who are all over the place, that doesn't quite suit me a lot of the time either. So yeah. can you talk about the the demands, I guess, on your left hand or maybe both hands of playing without a bass player? Yeah. Well, yes, there are definite um, physical and technical demands that, that are placed upon one. But the joy that comes from that that freedom um, ma- makes it all makes it all worthwhile. Um, the idea that the the lower register is totally um, open and available is is very exciting, because most uh, pianists post Bill Evans, what they'll do is play these rootless voicings in their left hand, so that you know Scott LaFaro, whoever the, the bass player is, can can respond. But the idea that my left hand is open to respond in a similar way. Um, is something that that I'm used to doing, and sometimes actually it can create a conflict with bass players. Some of them are very intuitive, and when I start to do some figures in the bass, they're listening, and they get out of my way, and they maybe will just play a low root to support it. But others can be quite stubborn <laughs> and just keep on doing what they're doing, so that I have to then, you know, get out get out of their way. Sure. So I decided to not even deal with any of those issues and just to, you know, create a record, you know, like that. And are you are you using uh, the bass register for like melodic counterpoint or? For a variety of purposes. All of those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are times when I'm doing a walking bass line similar sure. to what a bass player would do. Other times I'm doing a sort of modified stride thing without, I hope, it sounding really old-fashioned. And sometimes I am making up you know, new, new melodies that, that are very contrapuntal um, to go with uh, what, what's going on at the moment. So all of those, all of those things, yeah. yeah. Thank you. 
Yeah, the uh, I really like the sound of this record, and I think Matt's kind of an inspired choice. I mean, he's such a brilliant drummer in any he's case. He's wonderful, yeah. But he's one of those people who who seems to be able who seems to be able to incredibly sensitively be who he needs to be for yes. the situation yes. while retaining his identity at the same time. Yes. Can you talk about how he came to be the particular person you, you worked with on this record? Well, on one of the CD release performances for Hurley Burley, Lewis Nash was not available, so uh, Matt Wilson uh, played that gig. And again, we were doing that Fat Swaller Jitterbug Waltz. I have this arrangement where I put Mary Lou Williams's um, boogie bass line for a piece she wrote called Waltz Boogie, and I combine that with, with Jitterbug Waltz. And from our first rehearsal that, that Matt Joel and I had on that, it was just smiling. You know, we were just like in, in this ecstatic place, and uh, the next day we communicated by email knowing that this would be a great record because we had just so much fun because there's that fun factor which is definitely a motivating force in in deciding to commit to a project and that sounds like it's as much interpersonal as it is musical also it is i wouldn't say that matt and i were friends before that but uh we certainly you know knew each other and 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 would, would, would chat but this was the first time we really had committed to any type of project together and of course there's um an interpersonal thing but it doesn't have to do with um actually having a friendship with that person it has to do with the rapport that can happen on the bandstand um, yeah 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 people have said to me on this show that uh that it's both very nice to develop these kind of long-term relationships with musicians, but that there's also something particularly rewarding about just being kind of thrown into a situation and you find out that it works. Is yes. that your yes. experience? Yes, it, def- it definitely is. And it doesn't always work. And when I first started playing gigs, I would play with people that someone else would recommend. Oh, you have to play with that drummer. Wow, wow, wow. And I, and I would defer to other people's opinions about this. And I had so many experiences that that were not positive that I just made up my mind that I'm never going to do that again and um, only play with people with whom I intuitively felt that I could really communicate well. Do you have an idea what it is that makes something work or not work? No, and because I don't have an idea about that's what's so great about it, (laughs) because it is um, so non-quantifiable. But again, I'll keep using that word openness, openness, sensitivity, to you know dynamics and and Matt and Joel they know how to respond immediately to something that's going on without um, taking control so if ideas are presented as as we do on the record we're all responding pretty much you know constantly you know there are arrangements that I wrote but the directions that everything um, goes in or or that went in that's all based on what happens at the moment Mm. and it's really exciting and fun because it's never the same of course jazz is never the same but sometimes it can be very regimented yeah Yeah. it can seem kind of the same yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) uh you, you mentioned the arrangements, that kind of balance of arrangements and freedom. Can you talk a little bit about what you, what it was you brought into the studio and the rehearsals and then how you allowed that to, to kind of breathe? Yeah. Well, on every single track on the record, I, I did have some written charts, and I put those together and then sort of, you know, let happen what would happen. And uh, what what I was happy about is that even though I had these arrangements, when things were moving in a different direction, I didn't think, oh, no, that's wrong. Instead, I was able to, you know, go with the flow, and um, and I was happy with with, with what happened. Um, 
a lot of the pieces use collage technique and that's something that I'm more and more interested in, in, in juxtaposing things that maybe you would not expect to be juxtaposed against, you know, something else. So I have, like, on one of the tracks, I have uh, Cream's uh, Sunshine of Your Love mixed with my funny Valentine, and a little Bach <laughs> thrown in. On another one that I call the Money Medley, that's my response to the, the financial crisis. Um, I have Brother Can You Spare a Dime uh, mixed in with uh, The Beatles Can't Buy Me Love and a little uh, Pink Floyd Money theme throw in thrown in so you know these are these are things that in my uh, brain uh, you know worked well together um, and then we attempted to put them together in a musical sense and I think they were successful yeah when did you start using that technique I think I always did it in the act of playing um, without quoting uh, directly, there were always things that I liked juxtaposing. And on Hurley Burley, I um, on the, the the first track, the brilliant corners of Thelonious's Jumpin' Jeep. I combine a Johnny Hodges thing with with two Monk things. So that's when I started writing things that way. But I think I always thought that way. And um, looking at art, looking at Robert Rauschenberg or Kurt Fitters or you know certainly Brock and Picasso, I think that influenced me. So this album shares its title with a work by Picasso, and yes. I wonder if you can talk about the what about that work inspired you to associate it with this record, and maybe how it relates to what you were just talking about. Well, I did not set out to make a record called Three Musicians. <laughs> it all sort of happened over the course of about a year when I started making collages, and became fascinated with the two different versions of Picasso's three musicians and using them in this series of collages that I was making. You mean actual, actual, you mean visual actual colla- yeah. collages, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, what we're talking about is, is basically papier collet, um, you know, taking paper, cutting it up. I had um, different papers that I was, I was collecting. Um, and I would paint a ground, a background in acrylic paint, a grid-like thing, and then put these images over it and, 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 and fool around. And again, I became fascinated with the Picasso paintings. And then when it came time to think about 
putting together an album cover, I decided I didn't want to do the traditional thing of having a photographer take a photo of me and, and so on. And I said, well, you know, I've been working with, with collage. This is my inner dialogue. Um, why not, you know, use one of my collages? And one of them that I liked was indeed the one that's on the cover. <laughs> so then I decided, okay, I have this. I might as well call the record Three Musicians rather than take a title from the you know the song list so it all just sort of happened um in in you know an odd non uh i don't know non-planned out way where one thing influenced another and then i thought wow this is a really apt title um because it it relates to you know the fact that there are of course most obviously you know three musicians um not that i related to the commedia dell'arte <laughs> thing that picasso is, is 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 depicting um but i actually did think about um collaging in a harlequin dress a harlequin pattern dress and fooled around on photoshop with that it just didn't work out very cleanly but i was as picasso thought of himself as the harlequin um i was thinking maybe i could do that too so can you talk about what kind of uh release or or creative outlet visual art allows for you that's different from what performing music does? Well, the reason I started doing it is I took I took a drawing class and it wasn't that I was product orientated. I wasn't trying to create anything, but I decided that I wanted to be in the headspace of being in a room with people who were focused on the same thing. I have friends who are visual artists and they would always talk about these drawing classes that they would go to and there'd be a you know nude live model and how everybody would be at, in different places in the studio and do this. So I thought I'd try it. So I took a drawing class a year ago and and just loved it. Loved the experience of it. It was a you know meditative experience just to you know be be in in that in that space, there was something very different in the way time moved, if indeed time moves, but in the way, <laughs> <laughs> in the way one's life can uh, be ticked away in, 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 in the, the tick-tocking of, um, of time. And I started to really enjoy it. And then I became, you know, more interested. And it's not like I make art, make visual art all the time, but I find it's also a a different way of 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 accessing creative energy and because I spend a lot of time with music because I'm a teacher as well I teach at the new school and I teach at Manhattan School of Music very often I'm not eager to play the piano when I come home after being in a keyboard lab for <laughs> for six hours right so drawing a little bit or um, making a collage or doing a little bit of painting is is a great way to still be creative and expressive yeah. And I, certainly there's a, a pretty vibrant tradition of musicians who are also visual artists. I mean, in all genres, everybody yes. from, you know, Joni Mitchell to Tony Bennett and sure. a million people in between. That's right. It seems like there's a, well, there's two things about what you just said that struck me. One is that the idea of being in a drawing class to some degree feels analogous to putting yourself in the audience at a jazz show rather than hmm. as the performer. Yeah. Uh, but more in the position that someone like me would be in, where, I mean, I feel I have some education about the subject, um, but I am not any longer a professional musician. So to some degree, there's an element of, of mystery with what I'm watching. Yes. Uh, and it seems like being in that, that visual art space for you might be analogous 
to that. I don't know if that's accurate. Yes, or not. no, I, I, I definitely agree with that. But what I also like is is and, and relates to what you're saying is is the whole beginner's mind. Mm. In that, I know that I am already an accomplished musician, and starting something um, about which um, I don't know too much and have hardly any skill is very exciting, especially if I take away the product orientation and it's all about the process and not about you know what the, what the result is and and what I'm happy to report is that in my class uh, and in a painting class that I took last summer I was according to the teacher fearless because I'm not <laughs> it, I'm, my ego is not engaged in in judging it's mm. just about can I be expressive and can I get in that place where I can express myself so so we'll see where it all goes I have no um, fantasies of, of, of exhibiting or anything like that but um, it has become um, an intermittent an intermittent part of my life and, and so on yeah Have you found a mental space from the visual art practice that you can apply to your music? I don't know about the space, spatial aspect, but I think compositionally the two things can help can help each other. Um, again, it's sort of it's difficult to talk about. I just mm. it's just something that I that I feel that one enriches the other. Sure. And talk about fantasy. I, I thought that during the summer when I had some time that my ideal day would be that I would paint a little bit and then do a little bit of musical composition. And to my surprise, I couldn't do that. I couldn't go back and forth so easily. Oh, that's that really whatever I was engaged with that day, even if I wasn't doing it all day, would, would stay as the dominant um, inner, inner life thing. Um, but... I'd still like to try to do that at some point when I have more time. Yeah. We'll see. The uh, the new record, Three Musicians, has uh, some of your own compositions, but also, as you mentioned, your arrangements of a lot of standard tunes that people yeah. would know. And can you talk about playing standards and what still uh, appeals to you about it? And then maybe going from there into how you chose the particular repertoire for this record. Hmm. Well, there is a rich tradition in jazz, as as you know, and... One way to make a record or to do a concert is just to abandon it <laughs> and just say, okay, 
It's 2011, and even though I know about the, tradi the tradition, I don't really um, feel that there's any interest that I can muster up in myself to do this. Um, I have the approach that, that there always is something new that you can find in something from the past, and so I like delving into you know, songs that maybe have some compositional interest to me or some history in my life, and then seeing how I can reimagine them. And that's what a lot of these, a lot of these songs are all about. Um, again, to try to find new, new approaches, mm -hmm. and, and not always in a, a planned out way, but again, uh, having a, a basic idea and then seeing what happens in the studio or on the bandstand. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I would imagine that there's some, obviously some importance in picking who's going to play these things with you as much as the material yes. itself when you're talking about creating this environment for surprise and for of new course, direction. Yeah. Right? Of course, and that's why Matt and Joel were perfect. Right. <laughs> Absolutely perfect choices. And for my last record, Hurley Burley, those guys were also the great choices for, you know, what I was trying to do on that. Yeah. yeah. Do you find that there are elements of arranging for a larger ensemble that kind of stood you in good stead when it came time to do these very stripped down arrangements for the the trio? Hmm. Well, hearing a certain um, level of complexity of, you know, of counterpoint and harmony and so on, which I, I had to be able to do some of that in order, to especially do my first record, Love Call, which is uh, octets and one, one nonet. Right. Certainly, whatever skill I had to develop there um, is, is still, you know, operative, no matter, you know, what the instrumentation is. But again, I was looking for something more more stripped down, in which each person in the ensemble, the three of us, have more to do, rather than delegating these responsibilities, which is not a good word, but <laughs> to, to um, a larger amount of people. Um, and I seem to be moving in that direction. Again, um, I thought about doing a duo record, but then I thought it'd be more exciting to have, you know, either Matt or or Lewis Nash, and, and then I decided on Matt, yeah. Have you done a lot of solo performance? I have, I have, and solo piano is also really um, a, a great experience for me most of the time, because I try to have that same degree of openness to myself. So when I play, in, just like I was talking about earlier, if I play an idea, I want to be listening to what has come through me and then respond to that idea. I guess, I guess much in the, in the way of um, how actors, you know, mm. actors behave, you know, I mean, yeah, you could stand in front of a mirror and, you know, do the, you know, to be or not to be, that's the right. question, noble in the minds <laughs> of men and all that, uh, slings and arrows. You could, you could go through that, but, but really what it's about is responding, as if you never heard those lines before. And it's it's similar um, whether I'm playing solo piano or if I'm playing with, with a number of people. I'd like to be so open to you know hearing what's going on and responding and and when i'm successful in a solo piano performance that's what i'm doing as well and i'm using the whole piano which is what i tried to do on this record right as well yeah is there a a conscious uh process or technique you use to put yourself kind of mentally in that place where you can be open to what's happening no no there's nothing i really 
do to do to be in that place. It just it happens some of the time. I, I you know I'd like to say it happens all of the time, um, but it's something I, I wish would happen all the time. But there's nothing I do to prepare. Um, and it can happen when you least expect it, when you haven't slept or you have a 102 <laughs> fever, or, or, or maybe it won't happen so much when you've really prepared a lot. Sure. So there's no saying, you know, when it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. a little bit about how you got introduced to jazz i know that you when you started out you were in a in a whole other mode of musical performance as a yeah. as a teenager and well i've gone through a lot of different types of 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 music and still you know continue to enjoy you know a, a variety of different types of of music um but when i was a kid my father loved ragtime and even though it was you know really out of style he encouraged me to play ragtime so I played Scott Joplin rags when I was when I was little in fact his fantasy his dream for me was that I would be a ragtime pianist <laughs> and I know I disappointed him point disappointed him but if he heard this record maybe at least he'd like that I'm using <laughs> using my 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 left hand a lot um but I was familiar with with, with ragtime and he loved um Errol Garner and some of the more traditional um jazz pianists so I heard a little bit of that growing up. Um, but I, I can't say that I really related so much to modern jazz until I had already gone to college and studied classical music theory. And then when I listened to Bill Evans, I heard that he was applying all these different theoretical um, things that, with harmony and voice leading that I was studying in school. And I realized that may, just maybe this could be a way that I could express myself if I continued to study music. Um, and I ultimately decided not to listen a lot to Bill Evans because I gravitated so much to what he was doing that I feared that I would be a copycat. What was your intention in going to music school if you hadn't yet made the decision to do well, what I, you're doing I was now? studying classical piano, and I must uh, admit that I had no intention 
I had no desire to be a music teacher. Um, I knew that I liked making music, that that was always an important part of my life. But it, again, it was about the process. I went to school to study music with no idea of any type of career plan. And, it, you know, my musical life has unfolded in different ways without a plan. And I, it will continue to be, <laughs> to be that way because I'm not envisioning where I'm, I don't have a five-year plan of, you know, uh, of, of what I'm going to be doing a few years from now and how the music is going to go or what type of music and, yeah. and so on. Yeah, I see myself as a musician and, and we'll see. I've but never yeah. been any good at having five-year plans either. And there's a part of me that thinks, oh, well, it would be nice to have some idea where I'm going because I could plan to get there better. But I also know that I've, as a result, had a lot of experiences in my life that I would not have had or would not have been open to having had I been kind of diligently walking some yes. narrow path. I wonder if that is yeah. at all what your experience has yeah. been. Yeah, I mean, that's how, that's how I've lived. Um, the arc of everyone's life is, is, is very different, and uh, I just want to see what, what comes my way and yeah. choose to follow that or not. But not to, you know, direct, direct myself in 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 in, in certain ways. Um, I don't know. To me, it makes life more interesting. Yeah. yeah. Now, when you uh, when it comes time for the CD release and the three of you are playing this music live, is that even another degree of freedom that's allowed from even what was in the studio? Oh yes. Oh yes. Um, probably the solos will be longer. I don't know if you've noticed, but these tracks are relatively short. Yeah, they're pretty compact, definitely. Yeah, and usually we stretch out uh, more in a live performance because we did do a few gigs with this repertoire before we did the, the recording. And, um, you know, we would stay on each tune more like six, seven or eight minutes as opposed to the, you know, four and a half, five and a half minutes or so that are on here. So we'll stretch out and who knows, who knows where it will go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, although even... Even stretching out at that level, that's still a very uh, kind of song-like way to approach these tunes, as yes. opposed to, like, we're going to play three tunes this hour, and each one's going to be 20 minutes. Yeah. That, that's, that's a very different way. To, that's not yeah. my approach. <laughs> and in the hands of great musicians, that can really work. In the hands of musicians who are not truly great, um, they'll, they're going to lose me. And it, it's it's very self-indulgent, I think. Um, yeah. And, and, like, I don't know, a lot of times... The music is so much fun for the musicians to make, but to what extent is the audience really in on in on that um, when people take solos for you know eight minutes or so of you know all those choruses? Right. So I'm old fashioned in that way. How? I, that, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean yeah, to interrupt you. No. Uh, can you talk about how aware you are of an audience while you're performing? How much they factor in what happens on stage? Well, it's just an intuitive feeling that that I am expressing myself um, because I want to express myself and communicate <laughs> that it's not um, some abstract thought thing that doesn't have to do with the recipient of that so um, I think there is an adrenaline rush that comes with with playing for an audience that you don't get when you're playing in, in your living room and I, I love that and then there very often can be a heightened sense of emotion that mm -hmm. comes with knowing that an audience is is there too and i mean that's important for me too because i think that the jazz can sometimes be very technically um proficient 
but unlike other types of music, doesn't always have the emotional content that um, that we find in other things. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's which is. Yeah. I have now been saying like every episode of this show for for weeks. I, I'm totally on that theme of, hmm. uh, and I said it on the on the recent narcissistic show where yes. I was I was the guest. Yes. Uh, talking about how so many shows that I go see in the jazz world, I find very intellectually stimulating and kind of emotionally. They leave me a bit cold a lot of the time. It's yeah. certainly not the case all the time. Right. But, but yeah, I've, I very much feel that way. And I, I'm very much a proponent of musicians remembering that people are there. Yes. Um, and I think that there's a spectrum of that. I mean, everything from, you know, John Abercrombie said once uh, on the show that, you know, he sees if someone checks their watch. You know, he, I mean, he really feels like he's looking into the crowd and he notices, even yes. though he's also concentrating on playing. Sure. And then you have the other end of the spectrum where people have said, oh, I don't even... I don't care if they're there or not, which I'm never sure if that's actually true. Um, but, pe- but people do say, I would be fine if this room were empty. And mm. it seems like there's a spectrum from you know hyper-awareness to feigned or real indifference. Yeah. Um, and it, it seems like erring somewhere in the middle or finding yourself somewhere in the middle is a healthy place yeah. to be. Yeah. But in certain situations where you can really see the audience, then um, you are... You know, more drawn into stuff like um, you know somebody picking up an umbrella and dropping, or or the you know checking their cell phone. So, but I, I I would never want to focus on any of that. And sure. if I'm really concentrating, I I would block that out. Right. You know. Um, but in clubs, of course, we do have people that sometimes are there only because they want to have a drink with somebody, and that can be problematic when you're playing a. You know, you're playing your heart out on some romantic ballad, <laughs> and you hear people talking about stock quotes, and, and you know, yeah. So um, I, I've I've experienced that too, but um, it just goes with the territory. You know, it's there's no point in getting upset about it. Is what sure. I tell myself. Just let it go. And, yeah. And 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 focus. But I do care about about my audience and and. And doing whatever I can do to make sure that they have an experience that goes beyond mundane daily life. That's what art is about, you know. And that should involve some heightened sense of emotion. And if I can help to evoke some of that in them, then I will feel very successful, um, yeah, in what I'm doing, yeah.
beyond the the practical aspects of teaching as a as a means of income, can you talk about what you find fulfilling about working with students? Well, I like conceptually the idea of service, of doing something that takes me out of myself and having the opportunity to give. That being said, there are times when, as I was saying earlier, when if I, when I'm working on a musical project, if I'm teaching for six or seven hours, that I've given my best energy to others. So it's a little, you know, dub- double-edged in that sure. way. Um, but I love working with, with, with the kids and, and encouraging them. And because I coach singers at the new school, I have you know musicianship classes there and at, and at Manhattan School and, and so on. And it's just great to be around that 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 young energy and to know that I'm I'm being helpful and and exposing them to things maybe they they wouldn't be exposed to a musical and sometimes even a little extra musical too in terms of concepts and things. Do you come down anywhere on the the argument about how connected to the tradition jazz musicians need to be? Do you have an opinion on that subject? Hmm. Well, I know that jazz didn't start with John Coltrane. (laughs) (laughs) I know it didn't. Breaking news. (laughs) I know it didn't. And I know that if the students would go back a few decades, that their music would be richer. That That is for sure. Um, and I know that the jazz piano tradition <laughs> did not start with Bill Evans as much as as much as I love Bill Evans. So absorbing and coming into certainly coming into contact with the music and absorbing it is, I think, a very important part of one's one's education. Someone could still come up with some really creative, wonderful stuff without doing it. But I think that absorbing the tradition would enrich mm. their music. I mean, I like the feeling of swing. I'm not talking so much about the swing tradition, the swing style, but that momentum that comes from from swing is so joyful and so life-affirming that I like playing that way a lot of the time. And sometimes that's not what we hear. I also like the blues and feel that the blues can constantly be a source you know, from which we can draw. So call me a traditionalist, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, the rhythmic momentum of swing and, and blues, I think, are very important. My guest is Joan Stiles. She has a new album called Three Musicians, and it's been a, a real pleasure to hear your music over the years and to talk to you. Thanks for doing it. Thank you, Jason.
That's music from Joan Stiles' new album, Three Musicians, with Joel Fromm and Matt Wilson. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Marat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. Please do become a member at thejazzsession.com slash join. If you join at the highest level, which is either 50 bucks a month or $500 a year, if you were to do that, you'd be mentioned on every show, just like Matt, Murat, and Nicholas are on every show. And you also, for a limited time only, if you're one of the next two people who does that, or joins at the middle level, actually, but you don't get the mention at the middle level, but anyway. At the middle or top level, you'll also get a copy of Anthony Wilson's new DVD CD set, Seasons. So just... Just go ahead and do that, would you? Give me some money. That's as plain as I can put it. And in the meantime, get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.